You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie, joined by my co-host, Zim Huday. Zim, say what's up. What's going on? Hello, world. We have a very, very special show today in the midst of all the craziness that's going on with the world, all the different things that you have going on in your daily life. Let's talk about some money. Let's talk about contracts and who better to do it with with my man, Andre Parada. If you guys don't know or you're under a rock, Please check him out on Twitter and everything. I'll let Andre tell you exactly um, where he can, um, where you can find his stuff. Go right into it. Yeah, appreciate the kind words, Ace and Zim. Thanks for having me on. But yeah, my Twitter handle is is my name, Andre Parada. That's A N D R E P E R R O T T A thirteen. So easy enough. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I really love the work you guys do, and uh, pleasure joining you guys to talk about the, these 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 topics. Okay. And, and and one thing I just want to give people like just give people a little bit of insight on your background as it pertains to you being a Bengals fan and how it relates to the numbers. Cause me, I'm kind of learning as I go too. I just know I just thought always that you're the guy to go to in, in regards to cap space and crunching numbers with contracts. I appreciate that. So I uh born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, on the west side in Western Hills. Uh, went, went to school there, went to uh, St. Xavier High School, went to uh, University of Cincinnati for undergrad. And then I went to law school up here in Michigan at a small uh, private school called University of Detroit Mercy. So that's where I live now, just outside of Detroit in Royal Oak, Michigan. But I've been a Bengals fan all my life, born in 81. Uh, so that was the season they went to the Super Bowl. And they lost. It was actually played up here in, in Pontiac. And then uh, my first, I was in first grade in 1988, dating myself a little bit. So that was uh, their second Super Bowl season. And so I'd like to think that, uh, you know, when I was bored, it kind of coincided with a little bit of Bengal fortune. But obviously, I'm not sure how old you guys are, but I lived through the 90s as a kid. And I listened, I watched every game. And back in those days, they had blackouts. So if the game didn't sell out, like you had to listen on a radio. Wow. So I didn't have direct TV. My family didn't have a Sunday ticket at the time. 
And even if they did locally, they would have been blacked out anyway. But lived through the 90s, born and bred in Cincinnati. My, my parents were born in Italy. They immigrated here. Uh, so first generation Italian-American. Uh, but just I've always found, had a love for the Bengals. My parents, obviously, being European, they loved soccer. Uh, but I just took a liking to American football as a kid and just loved my Bengals growing up. Uh, but to your question specifically, Zim, about how I got interested in in contracts, I'm a lawyer by trade. I'm a corporate transaction lawyer. I have specific expertise in healthcare clients. But uh, my interest actually started in 2011, almost 10 years ago now, during the lockout. And it didn't look like we were going to have a season for you know different reasons compared to now with with the virus and and everything else that's going on. But back then, there really was a there was a there was a decent chance they weren't going to get a season in because it looked like there was going to be a complete stalemate. They they got to an agreement late in the summer, I think early August, and at that point, I just there was a lot of information out there. Twitter was just starting to get up and going, and there when the CBA was ratified, they posted it online, and so I was like, let me just start reading it. And I, <laughs> I'm sure it does sound like a lot of fun, and trust me, it's not, but. Uh, I just started reading it and started reading the provisions in there about contracts and how the salary cap works. And then I follow a lot of guys on Twitter that I learned a lot from. Um, and then the rest is kind of history. So just to really start almost 10 years ago, I've always been a fan of football um, and the draft, of course. Of course, the draft was our Christmas in the 90s. You know, we were, we were horrible. So the draft, the draft was our Super Bowl. Back when we drafted, traded up for Kajana, we got Big Daddy, pick number one overall in 94. But then I, you know, Again, like the contract stuff just started within the last 10 years or so. I just started to get an interest in the business aspect of football because once these owners and players start fighting over these, this billion-dollar pile of money, I'm like, you know, let, me, let me see what some of these issues are and, and how these contracts are valued and, and how they work in the cap and stuff. So uh, just always kind of had that interest as well. But I'm, overall, I'm just a huge fan. I'm a huge fan like you guys are, and you guys are very knowledgeable about everything as well. So anytime I can get together to talk Bengal football with Bengal fans, I'll, I'll, I'll never miss that chance. For sure. I, I talked to Andre off the air, too, and we kind of got into, like, some of the different uh, elements of NBA players currently right now, what they're up against, the, you know, um, uh, with the Orlando bubble and different things going on like that. So Andre is really, really knowledgeable on just sports, period, too, and I was really impressed. But one thing that I wanted to throw out there, because it was such a hot topic um, the other day on my Instagram, is we want to talk about free agents and free agents that make sense for the Bengals. Yeah. I have a couple of guys. I know Ace has some guys, and I think you guys actually have the same guy, just like most of right. and we want to yeah. just kind of go through it. The first guy that I wanted to talk about with you is your guy, and I think it's, I think it's everybody's guy, and that's Larry, yeah. War Larry Warford. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me potentially how you think a contract with uh, Larry Warford would look like with the Bengals? Currently, like when I look at overthecap.com, it says we have $24 million in cap space, but I know that they haven't uh, cleared the rookie deals yet and everything like that. So you can tell me like how Larry Warford contract could work out. Um, previously on our show, Ace has even pointed out to me like cutting someone like a Alex Redman can potentially give us back $4 million. Like, Kind of walk us through some of those scenarios, please. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. So we'll start with the cap space. They are, according to Over the Cap, they're just over 24 million. But you hit it. You hit it on the head there, Zim. They they haven't signed the rookie class yet. Um, so when you factor in those rookie deals that are going to get signed, like Burrow and T Higgins, the higher end rookies, uh, and even Logan Wilson's deal will be pretty good as the top pick of the third round. Uh, that's going to actually take out about seven and a half million of that. That's going to account. They, they 
the rookie allocation is about 11 million, but that shouldn't be confused with the cap space that's needed to sign those guys because these rookies are going to displace guys that are, that are not going to be on the team anymore. So like, for example, you mentioned like an Alex Redmond, Alex Redmond counts, you know, over 2 million on the cap right now. Like Hakeem Adeniji is an offensive lineman and he's making less than obviously he's going to make less than what Redmond's going to make. Uh, and so when, when the 53 man roster is, is, is when it's whittled down there, uh, those guys are going to be, there's that term called roster displacement. So the fact that you have this rookie pool, that's not the, the, the money that's needed to sign them under the cap. And so the long way to answer that is 24 million they have currently, even though the rookie allocation pool is 11 million, roughly, they only need about 7.6 million to fit their draft class into their salary cap. So if you take seven and if you take, let's call it 7.6 million, subtract that from 24.1, that leaves you roughly at about 16.5 million after all the rookies are in there. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of, it's that, a lot that's, of still, that's still at the top. That's probably still top 10 NFL. And that is, that's before mix and deal, which we can talk about later on and a potential AJ extension. He's got less than a month to, to agree to that, uh, to play a long-term deal, but that's the 16.5 million after your rookie class. That's plenty of money. To, that's plenty of cap room to sign a Larry Warford, to sign uh, a couple other guys that we'll talk about too. Um, but if we're, if we're talking, let's talk about Larry Warford. I'm a huge fan. I'm surprised he's still on the market. Um, played at Kentucky. Uh, go ahead. I, I'm no, surprised. No, 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 I, I, no I'm, 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 I'm going to finish the talk. But, you know, I think the Larry Warford thing is almost like the Cam Newton talk. It's like, it's just a matter of the doctors getting their hands on them and then teams actually bringing them in. And I think the COVID-19 has just really stagnated everything. So people yeah. just can't move like they normally would. I think in a normal, in a normal, normal market, I guess, or whatever, mm -hmm. standard United States, yeah, you know, whatever. I think Larry Warford probably would have been signed by now or at least been in somebody's building by now. That that's I the agree only, with that. that was the I only thing I wanted to like. Kind of For sure. I, I, I can definitely see that with everything that's going on. That's probably the reason why. Although I will say now his competition, there may be a bigger market for him now because the Eagles lost a guard who played at Miami of Ohio, Brandon Brooks, who's a good play. He just signed an extension with them too. Right. And he had a full injury. Achilles injury knocked him out. He's going to knock him out for the year. And so Howie Roseman is one of my favorite general managers in the league. Mm -hmm. I guarantee he's probably already called Warford in his rep. Kind of, right. you know, just kind of test the waters a little bit. So Warford and his reps, they may be playing the long game here. Like, hey, you know, camps aren't even official yet. Like, it's likely going to be they're going to they're going to happen. But let's kind of wait. You know, there's no rush. Like you said, with, with the coronavirus and everything else that's going on, let's kind of get the best deal. And that's what maybe Warford is thinking at this time. He may even be looking at a multi-year deal with some extra guarantee money. But the reality is at this point, once we're into June, I can't see too many teams offering more than like a one-year deal. That doesn't mean that the deal won't be substantial, like maybe six, seven million on the high end. But um, and that's see, that's to me, that's nothing. Yeah, no doubt. I, I would sign. I mean, that you're talking about in Larry Warford, a Pro Bowl caliber guard, almost an All Pro level. I mean, I don't know if he's at that level anymore, but he's still he's not he's not thirty. He he doesn't really have an injury history, and the reason they let him go was because they signed they drafted Cesar Ruiz and they signed Andrus Pete in, in free agency or re-signed him. And they drafted Eric McCoy, a pretty high draft pick last year in the second round, and he played well. I liked him coming out of AM. I, I think he went to AM, but mm -hmm. yeah. he's a good player. And so the Saints are stacked in the interior part of the offensive line, and they just let Warford go. So I, Ace, I know you're a fan of him. I, I, I love Larry Warford. I, I think Larry Warford come in and be the starting right guard. 
And I think you could do a lot worse than that. In fact, I mean, that's a pretty good starting right guard right there. And if you can get right. a starting guard at Larry Warford's caliber for six and a half million, let's call it six. That's a steal. And that, right. and that is even before like a, uh, like a mix in or, or an AJ negotiation uh, extension, but that's plenty of room. You, you can do all that. And then of course, if you add multiple years, there are ways to structure the deal that you can avoid like a larger cap hit in year one. Although I'm not sure the Bengals would want to do that for, for free agents at this point. But the long, the short answer is there are ways to get this type of deal done, especially for Larry Warford. Um, and, and, and we can go through this list. I mean, there are a lot of guys that are out there that are, I mean, these are like, you know, household names, like Jadavion Clowney being one, he's still on the market. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the Bengals are going to go after him, but that guy, people always look at Clowney's sacks. I mean, he's so much more than that. I mean, just look at his disruptions. Jadavion Clowney, any team would love to have him. Yeah. Uh, just, just, just the point of being that there are a lot of good players still on the market. And so I think we'll start seeing some action here coming up. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals, you know, kick the tires pretty good on their Warford, if not maybe even offer him a good deal. I would it be was, all for that. I, I'd be all for it. Was rumored. It, it was rumored. It was rumored. <laughs> hey, did you have any did you have any thoughts on like Larry Warford? Where, where I mean, I guess did you have anything that you want to ask Andre specifically about Warford? Because I know that's been a guy you've been pretty much punching the table for for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think Andre did a great job of breaking it down. I mean, right. I was thinking the same thing, like six and a half million for a guy that I believe was making around 10 or 11 million or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. To be able to have him for that price is a, a pretty that's substantial pennies. discount. And that's it's pennies on the dollar. I guess my only question would be something that Andre can't even answer is why haven't the Bengals done it yet? Is it a situation where uh, you know, other contracts may be at play. I, I really think that it kind of tends to be that they like some of the guys. They love Michael Johnson so much. And mm-hmm. I think uh, just from talking to Willie Anderson, getting the offensive lineman uh, view of that, it seems like when you can't get those younger guys reps and stuff like that, it can really damage them as players. So that's the only reason that I would think that they would do that. But to me, Larry Warford's a no-brainer. I get it. And I agree with that. It is a no brainer. And I agree. And I like Michael Johnson too. I like Mike Johnson. I think Mike Johnson, he could, he's, he has positional versatility. He can play any line spot. He's got the size to do it. And I agree with that about a young lineman's confidence and not getting the reps, but you know, signing Warford on a one-year deal in no way, in my opinion, I mean, Mike Johnson can then battle, battle out with Xavier Suafilo for left guard and Billy Price right. they have the best man win. Um, but in, I think if you add Warford to the O-line room, it immediately upgrades. It immediately, and you talk about Joe Burrow, your biggest asset, and then you, exactly. want, in, you, want, you want time to get to these weapons that we're going to talk about. The Bengals have a lot of weapons on the outside. Larry Warford is that huge piece. They may, I think you, you nailed it, Ace. You know, they, they like uh, Mike Johnson or Mike Jordan. They like, um, I think they also kind of want to prioritize their 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 extensions, like AJ and Mixon. Right. And I think some of those guys too, especially like an AJ or, or Joe, like, hey, look, I, I've I, I've been grinding four years, AJ longer since 2011. Like, right. you got to get me done first. And right. I don't think they, they overtly say it like that, but I think the implication would be like, hey, you're taking care of these external guys. Yeah, you're helping the team, but what about me? I've contributed, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to this team. You know, you gotta you gotta get a deal done with me first. So I think there's there's some of that balance that they're doing, but it, just in the interest of upgrading the football team, Larry Warford is an immediate and clear upgrade. And, yeah, I mean, and, and yeah. you and you said the most important part is like you invested very very high in Joe Burrow, and you need to do everything in your power to keep him upright. So I mean, 
So yeah. with that said, I think we 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 I think we're all on like on board with Larry Warford, and and I think we just need to make it happen. I don't I don't see him taking a one year, but like you said, it's so late in the game. I think he might be forced to. But some of these other guys, I think they'll be forced to. Another guy that I showed you, uh, Ace wasn't one the biggest fan of him, but I said that a couple of weeks ago. I really wanted Everson Griffin and uh, to leave. Um, God, I keep to leave. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah and, and Everson Griffin. Those are two guys that I wanted. I wanted um, Talib's toughness and Everson Griffin is just, you know, 30, 30 something snaps a game. Currently, right now, their 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 edge, their depth at edge is really, really one of the bigger, bigger issues. I think that this team that people are going to see if you're looking at teams that go to the playoffs and teams that uh, are very, very competitive. They're stacked usually at the edge position, and the Bengals are not. So I think outside of offensive line, that's another position that I absolutely would add some some depth to. And those are two guys that I like. I I like Everson Griffin a lot. And I think he's, you know, he's on the back nine of his career, but he can in a rotation. I think even if Preston to service as a starting guy playing 60% of the snaps, you know, you Everson Griffin could still give you some good games and some good seasons. Uh, but to your point, I've been – Zim, I didn't know you were on this train too, but I'm on the we need some edge guys because yes. – Look, Carlo is a great player, uh, and Sam Hubbard is looking he's, – he's on the cusp, he's coming up. And, and Carl Lawson, if he just stays healthy, Carl Lawson, I think, is is a dominant defensive end, dominant edge player. Yes. And I like Khalid Kareem. I, Khalid is actually from Detroit. He's, he's, I, I, know, I followed him like in, when he played at Notre Dame, but he was a highly recruited kid coming out of the southeast Michigan area. So I like Khalid Kareem a lot. You know, we had him on, you, you know we had him on this show not too long ago. It was a really I, good show. He's Korean is an impressive young man. He's 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 a good he's a great player. He's more importantly, he's a good person by all accounts. Uh, but he, he's a good he's a good player. And I think the Bengals have some ideas of maybe kicking him inside a little bit. So that even that that reduces then even more our edge depth or lack of it because I, I'm with you, Sam. What happens if I mean not even with the coronavirus thing? Under let's say one of these guys tests positive for Corona and they were quarantined for two weeks during the season. I mean that that's terrible. But let's say it's a normal season and you got you got like a, a sprained ankle, not enough to go on like short term IR, but enough to be like, OK, you're going to be out for a couple weeks. Now we got Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson, two good players. But that's it. We need some depth on the we I mean, the Bengals need some depth on the, on the edge, man. I, I agree, I agree with you guys. I, I agree with you guys. Uh, for me, I agree with you guys. I definitely think that we needed uh, some edge players. I honestly thought that we should have possibly um, double dipped at the position. And I have to agree with you as well. Like you have Carlos Dunlap, um, you have uh, Sam Hubbard, but you don't really have much outside of that. Like there's not much depth there. Carl Lawson, like you said, great player when he's healthy. When he's Key healthy. Term, when he's healthy. I it's mean, he's had an injury. Exactly. He's had an injury history dating back to to Auburn. That's why we were able to get him so late. But my only issue was the reason that I didn't want Everson Griffin wasn't from Everson Griffin, the player. I think he could start. I think he could start on, you know, 32 teams in the NFL. It just was some kind of off the field issues that kind of came with him. So that was kind of my concerns about Everson Griffin, just from some things that I had heard just around in circles of the NFL saying that he needed a mental health evaluation before they were going to bring him back. So that was, that was my only thing with him, but um, I definitely agree with you guys in terms of us needing to get some, some edge rushers back. So if we were to go after uh, Everson Griffin, I'll just play devil devil's advocate. How much would that 
uh, essentially cost? Or what would that look like? And the same with, with yeah. Tlaib. And Tlaib, yeah. So uh, which, back it up a little bit. I agree with, with Griffin. There was that case where he may have left the team. He left the Vikings yep. a couple years ago. And you know, I'm sensitive to mental health issues, too. I, you know, I, I, I know – I know people have gone through that type of stuff, so I don't want to make light of that at all. But you're right. right. I mean, you, you want to make sure that that's all buttoned up and everything's right with with him mentally and that he's okay. Because when he does, when he's on, he's on. Even though he's older, he's, he's, he's oh, a yeah. good player. He's back. Yeah, all right. Thank you guys for uh, bearing with us. We had some technical difficulties, but we are back. Um, so, Andre, I know that you kind of talked about uh, Everson Griffin as well as, I believe, Akib Tlaib. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can, yeah. I think we got most of it, but if you can just give kind of a brief summary of what we could look forward to signing those guys for. Um, and then I guess we can start to get into some of the Bengals internal contracts. But, but hold on really yeah. quick, really quick, really quick. Let me interject something with you, Andre. I want to make sure that this is clear. There is no way that we that I will be on board with an eight to ten million dollar deal with either one of those guys. But if they're like based on the numbers you just told me, right, if we're starting at twenty four. We got 7.5 that comes off of the cap number. That's um, right. With the with the current um Bengals rookies deals, right? I just mm -hmm. want to think like if I took a deal like a Alexander uh, McKenzie, like a one year, yeah. four year, something like that will be like more manageable. How does that relate to that cap? Um, that cap hit at that point. Yeah, so that would be much more manageable. I, I agree. I, if they get a McKenzie Alexander, and I, by the way, I, McKenzie Alexander is my most him and Von Bell yep. are my favorite signings of this class. Just from a, I love DJ Reader, of course, but just from a, and Trey Wayne's, I think gets a bad rap, but uh, I think Trey Trey's a better player than a lot of people give him credit for. But McKenzie well, Alexander <laughs> and Von Bell are my favorite signings because of the value there. They got McKenzie on a one-year, four million dollar deal, and so I think. Uh, if you can get a, a Talib like that, uh, you know, in that range, obviously, I think that would be doable and much more uh, agreeable. Uh, yeah, it, and I want to reiterate that point too. I'm glad you said that, Zin. I'm not advocating for signing those guys at those types of deals. I'm, I'm just saying that if the market usually plays out, there may be a team considering their how well those guys have played and how much I think they have left in the tank. Um, I think there's going to be a team that just values them because of the positions they play. Those guys tend to be paid higher. But it wouldn't surprise me. Mackenzie Alexander, too, is also a nickel corner, and those guys don't get – that market is, is slow to develop. It's not as advanced as the outside guy. That's very true. But I love Mackenzie Alexander. But if you can get him to keep to leave at a one-year $5 million, $4 million deal, yeah, for sure. I have to look into this. Uh, Tlaib also, I think, played on the ALA Rams. I don't know if his time with the Rams overlap with Taylor's time. So I don't know if there's a connection there. Obviously, wow, different sides man. of the ball, so I'm not sure if that would really matter. But – uh, you know, but they're in the same locker room, and 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 Zach would know, Coach Taylor would know what kind of pl player and, and teammate uh, Talib has been. But by all accounts, Talib's been a great teammate on all the teams he's played for, and been a hard worker, and 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 teams really like him. He's been a leader. I think he was captain when he was a, with the Broncos. I remember the the C uh, logo on his chest, on his jersey. Yeah. But I would if 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 a keep Talib, you can never have enough corners. I I, I love the corner uh, position. I think it's the most important on defense. Um, yeah, if he's agreeable to that type of deal, for sure, I'd, I'd be all for it. I think that's great value. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and again, the, the lower those cap hits, the easier it is to digest on the Bengals cap. Because, yeah, while they, again, $16.5 left over, you, you can throw on another guy $8 million, sure, but then that cuts it in half already. And with the way the Bengals like to roll over money in the following year and then the extensions that they got to get done, even though that really won't add that much to the cap, especially with A.J. Green, uh, and we could talk about that later. 
But I think, you know, anything around a $5 million type deal is, I think, is a sweet spot for the Bengals, whether that's Larry Warford, whether that's a keep to leave, whether that's Everson Griffin. I like Cameron Wake, uh, and he's got ties to Luana Rumo. Cameron is, is a great player. He's older now. I think he's almost 40. But that guy is a physical specimen. That guy yeah, just – he's, he's a freak. I mean, it just he, – he doesn't come off the field. I mean, he, he doesn't play 100% of the staff, but he doesn't miss games. He's at 38 years old, and he's had a career where, you know, knock on wood, he just hasn't missed a lot of time. And those are the types of players you want. They, those guys that lead by example. But more importantly, they get, they're still good players. And I think when we talked about our lack of depth on the edge – Bring in a Cameron Wake type of deal. I also like just because I remember watching him closely in Detroit. Ziggy Ansa is still available. Yes, yep, I like you know, Ziggy. I like Ziggy. Ziggy's got some injuries history. He's got some, some serious injuries with his back, but Ziggy I think signed late in the year last year with Seattle. I think he's he played against the Bengals week one. I think his the reason I say one year eight million for like Everson Griffin is I think that's the deal Ziggy Ansa signed last year with the Seahawks was one one year eight million. Okay. And it was later in the off season, so that's 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 how I kind of pigeonhole or kind of peg. That's it. That seems more like a Super Bowl contender type money right there. That's true. It's true. So I, I I would I I like you said edge depth. You know, Kevin Wake is is one of them. There's also Marcus Golden, uh, former high high pick for relatively high pick for Arizona, then with the Giants. But I like Marcus Golden. Marcus Golden could be you know as as an edge rusher, an edge rush specialist. Mm-hmm. You know who would have who would have thought like Shaq Barrett. Last year with right. the Bucks, Shaq Barrett yeah. was in, in line for defensive MVP. He got a right. franchise tag this year. Right, um, hurts Shaq that Barrett, we were supposed to sign him too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you and you know the Bengals pulled out of that. They did. They, the, the Bengals the the one, Yeah, the, the Bengals pulled out of that one, which is crazy. So yeah, but um, the point about Shaq Barrett is nobody would have thought Shaq Barrett would have gone in. And yeah, yeah, and 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 killed it out there, and he he bought out, and he bought out all year. Shaq Barrett this year kind of reminds me of like a little bit of how the fan base is kind of. I think a lot of fan base, I, I probably like 40 percent of the fan base was kind of like Shaq Barrett, Shaq Barrett, and then then when he came into the building, I think a lot more fan base was on board with that. It reminds me a lot of Darren Lee this year. Yeah, like, there's a there's a there's a huge portion of the fan base that is looking for Darren Lee. For me. I, I, I just thought Everson Griffin would just the mentality, like him with Carlos. I, I just saw that a lot better. I wouldn't be mad at any of those guys from a depth position. It's not my money, but that's why we're talking to you because you, not make my money money, either, but... you make the money make sense, I guess. But <laughs> it's not my money, and I'm not one of those people that tell people how to spend their money. But if we're talking money on the, the GOAT, A.J. Green, what is the ideal spot? Because I've heard rumors at 18 million. I've heard 12 million. I've heard all types of stuff that like doesn't make sense to me. What is the oh, yeah. ideal contract for AJ Green who would be turning 32? Yep, 32. Yeah, was 88. Bet. Yeah. Okay. So AJ Green, tell me what that contract probably looks like and how it relates to maybe someone. Uh, I guess he always gets linked to Julio, but I, I don't. Yeah. I guess that that's probably what AJ Green's looking at, right? Yeah, I think you know same draft class, twenty eleven. Julio was picked two put picks behind him. The Falcons came all the way up in that trade in Cleveland to come get Julio, and their careers are kind of parallel. Although Julio stayed a little bit more healthy than AJ has. Although the same with Carl, I think AJ's injuries have been just a little bit bad luck. Well, a lot of it, especially last year in, up in Dayton at the field turf. What a horrible situation. They should have never been on that field. 
And and the reality is, too, AJ probably could have played last year. And I'll never say he's dogging it. I don't care what he did. But I, I agree with AJ. He's looking at it. He's like, we're a 2-14 and 14 team. I'm not going to go out there and play with this team. Right. And it's a contract year. I don't blame AJ. I'm, I'm decidedly pro player. Obviously, I love the team. But I don't fault AJ. He probably – if the Bengals, towards the end of the year, entered December – what four games left so let's say they were what 10 and 2 aj green was probably playing last year you know because he's like okay i'm I'm healed enough but there's no way he was going to risk further injury i don't blame him for that and so people say well he missed all last year but he could have played if he he really wanted to he probably was cleared and so but i don't fault him for not so the injury concerns are valid i will say they're valid but aj green is the consummate professional he takes care of his body he's he's a true professional in terms of he loves his craft he says he wants to play another four or five years i have no reason to doubt that and i don't think that i don't doubt that it will be at a high level and in fact i don't doubt that aj green is hearing all these things that oh he's washed up or he's over the hill like he's not the same aj aj green hopefully with joe burrow i think aj green i mean this may be the hot take of hot takes he may be in line i think because i'm very i've always liked aj as a player and his skills, like an MVP type of season. I'm not talking about the team MVP, and uh, and I'm not saying it's going to be this year. But you know, you know, Jerry Rice won a couple MVPs with some MVP with MVP caliber quarterbacks. It's not uncommon for a wide receiver to ball out and, and, and be in consideration for an MVP discussion. And I really think AJ's motivated to show these people. Look, I'm still AJ Green. I may be a year older, had these injuries, but you know, give me some competent quarterback play. You know, right. Andy Dalton the last couple of years was average at best. Ryan Finley is a backup. I know he didn't play with Ryan Finley, but you know, give AJ some, give AJ a Joe Burrow, and heh, I, AJ doesn't need that type of. He can. I mean, look what he did with Andy Dalton. Right. And I like exactly. Andy Dalton, but Andy Dalton is a middle of the pack, as middle of the pack as you come in terms of quarterback play. Um, and so I like AJ Green to, to the point of his extension. Um, I, I do think. It's. I was a lot more uh, pot, like optimistic about a couple of weeks ago, but now we're less than a month in, uh, a month away from the deadline that he has until July fifteenth. I still, I'll, I'll say maybe I'll give it about a sixty-five percent chance it gets done. And just because of his age, I think the team would like, and based on the contracts they gave out this year, I think they would like the sweet spot to be about a three-year extension. So they would just cut up the the the. Um, the franchise year, which is this year, and just do a three-year extension for 2020, 2021, and 2022. That gives AJ through his age 34 season, and I'd be comfortable with that. You right. Know, he's, he's in great shape. Right. Uh, you know, he, he's going to take care of his body, and it, it's 2020. Athletes can take care of their bodies better than they could in the, in, in, in a generation ago. Even. Right. Um, and so I, I would be comfortable. I'm not sure if the Bengals would do this, but I would be comfortable getting AJ. Honestly, people think $18 million a year. I'd be comfortable with $20 million a year just to guarantee Ooh. a certain So here's here's my contract proposal for A.J. Green. Three years, $60 million, with about half of it guaranteed. The Bengals don't guarantee anything outside of the signing bonus, but they'll give a pretty good signing bonus, like they gave Reader, like they gave Dave, uh, Trey Waynes. And so people will say $20 million a year for a right. But But here's the deal. Don't look at how do we structure it? How do we come on? You look at the structure and then you look at it. What I like, the metric I like to use is a percentage of the cap because it's not like the 20 people look and say 20 million a year. Oh my God. They like, they grabbed the clutch, the pearls. It's like it, the cap wasn't the cap that it was last year. It wasn't the cap that it was five years ago. And so if you do $20 million on the salary cap this year, which is 198.2 million, that's 10%. It's about 10.1% of the cap. 
AJ's extension, when he signed it in 2015, the day before they flew out to Oakland, remember the 2015 opener? He got that extension. It was a four-year, $60 million extension, so $15 million a year. But the cap then was 143. So $15 million on a 143 cap was still 10.4%. And so the percentage of the cap is not different. So people will, like, almost have heart attacks. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. A year. But look at it. Look what the salary cap is. Now, the cap, you may talk about this. The cap next year may go down and maybe adjust it because of the virus. And right. There may be no fans in the stands, and, and that may take a hit. But the, the way the NFL revenues are going, and that they will be outside of this pandemic, the NFL revenues are just going through the roof. And so the salary caps are going to go up. So that $20 million on on this year's cap is only 10% of the cap. And then next year, it's going to be even less as a percentage of the cap, right. assuming it goes up. So right. the, the point of me saying that is, it that uh, admittedly, that is on the high end. I will give you that. But I would do that in order to to just say, AJ, we really love you. We want you. We we appreciate everything that you've done for us this last decade. But contracts aren't really a reward for what you've done in the past. They're really a projection of the value you're going to bring going forward. And I feel comfortable saying that a contract that gives him 10% of the cap, so whether that's $20 million a year, which it would be in this case, I think that's still value to the Bengals. I mean, he's a number one, bona fide number one target. That can play. You can even put AJ in the slot. You can put him at the X and the Z. I mean, you can you can line him up as you guys well know better than I uh, than I do in that regard. But I I do that as a way of saying AJ. Yes, this is an appreciation of everything you've done. But two, we really value you at this much, and we want to get a deal done. I don't want to nickel and dime my best player on offense. I don't want to nickel and dime a guy who prior to last year was on a trajectory to be in the Hall of Fame. Right. The Bengals, I mean, Ken Riley, rest, rest in peace, rest his soul, should be in the Hall of Fame. Kenny Anderson, too, but we only have one. we got Anthony Munoz. I know Mike Brown used these types of things, and, and A.J. Green was on a firm trajectory to be a Hall of Fame player. And, and because of that, I think A.J. can get back on course. And because of that, I just don't want to mess around. I don't want to do another Andrew Whitworth thing like, hey, we're going to lowball you and go to the market, see what they say, and then come back to us. Right. And it, it's not going to, it, 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 it wouldn't work on their favor. I, I've told people too, yep. if he plays this year on that franchise tag, he's, he's gone. Not, he's gone. Yep. There I can't, see, a, I can't I see a scenario where him coming back. I really I, don't. I, I wouldn't shut the door. I, I agree that he's gone and like, like, yeah, 95% chance. I agree. If I were a betting person, I would bet money that he leaves if he plays on the tag because there is a team that would pay him. But yes. I don't want to mess around. I AJ Green is our franchise, but I mean Burrow now too. But Burrow hasn't played it down, and I, I think he'll be great, hopefully. But AJ Green, you know what he is. And how many more weeks? How many more weeks do they have before they have to make that decision? Isn't it about like two more weeks from now, or like the beginning of July? I think I said down. July, okay, July fifteenth. So what's the seventeenth? Uh, they got less than a uh, month. But feel like know, this is a bad movie plan over again. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think, Ace? What do you think? So, admittedly, I'll, I'll end on this on AJ. I do think that my proposal is three years, sixty million, and I think a lot of people say, "Oh, twenty million—that's a lot." But like I've said, if you view that as a percentage of the cap, it's very reasonable. It's only 101 percent of the cap, very reasonable. And I think that says AJ say, "Okay, I'm not going to play around anymore. These guys are showing they me they value me, and I'll sign this deal." And I would be so happy. I think a lot of fans who don't understand would say, "Oh, twenty million is an overpay." And you'd always have that those people on Twitter and everything. He's, he's an old, I think right. AJ Green, especially this year and maybe even next year, is on a mission to prove people wrong, to prove people that he's still one of the top receivers in the game. And I, I truly believe he is. What do you think about him, Ace? 
I have to agree with you on that, Andre. I think number one, uh, it just sends the wrong message if you lowball the guy. And then yep. number two, like you said, even though it's 20 million, it's not necessarily 20 million. Like a lot of those bonuses, like you said, could be tied into the Bengals making the playoffs, making the Super Bowl, him winning MVP. There's all kind of enhancements that you can put in there to at least kind of dress it up and make it look like it's 20 million a year. Um, I also think, like you said, that he's definitely not going to be a guy that's slowing down. I think he yep. modeled his game after Larry Fitzgerald. Larry mm-hmm. Fitzgerald is still playing now. And I think, like you said, he's a classy guy, and you want to sustain some kind of culture and yep. show respect for players, especially for this guy coming to the Bengals, not giving up on them. I think that it's the perfect situation, like you said, to go out there and give him that three-year deal. And I think three years, like you said, is the perfect spot for it. And I think, like you guys also said, if he doesn't get that and he does have to play on a franchise deal, he's probably gone. I agree. Right. Um, I think one of the arguments that I had, I guess, against it was – Okay, they're they they've invested a lot in the wide receiver position. Um, h- how this plays out or how they see their vision for T. Higgins, I don't know if they're waiting to see what he looks like, how fast he's picking up the offense or whatever. I don't know if that's a big a big thing. But I guess my final question on the AJ Green thing is if you did a $20 million deal, what does the cap space look that, like at that point? Yeah, like what? What is that? That that number that we now just got down to what thirteen or fourteen mil or something? Yeah, sixteen point five. Yep, sixteen point five. Okay, so now what does that number look like? Good question. So AJ's on the on the franchise tag that he hasn't actually signed it yet, but if he does sign it, and they don't do a deal. He'll his cap it will be seventeen point eight six five, so almost just under eighteen million. So the way they'll structure a deal if they get a deal done by the fifth July fifteenth deadline, because he's already at eighteen million, what they'll do is they'll give him a huge signing bonus maybe even a $20 million signing bonus and a very small base salary. But that $20 million signing bonus can be divided by the length of the contract. So you would divide it. You pay him the money. He gets that money. But from a cap perspective, you divide that $20 million by the three years of the deal. So it's a a little over uh, seven or whatever, 20 divided by three is, you know, not quite seven, whatever it is in terms of the cap hit. So his cap hit could very well actually go down. In fact, most teams – do it that way. Once you're on a franchise tag, you do a new deal. And because you prorate the signing bonus, it actually ends up lowering the cap pit as compared to what would have been had the guy been on the salary cap. So the Bengals can structure it. The Bengals don't always do that with their franchise players, but the way they could structure it could actually lead to his cap hit being less this year, clearing right. cap space. But if they wanted to do it, let's say they just say if they want to do it clean, like, so he's already at 17.865 for the franchise tag. If they just wanted to do a three year, $60 million deal and have every year cap hit be 20 million. Well, that's only adding about 2.2 million to the cap because he's already Mm. counting for 17.8. So now you're only adding and they won't do it that way, by the way. So if AJ Green's cap goes to 20 million, he's already at 17.8. So that's only 2.2 million adding. So you take that 2.2 million out of that 16.5. Now you're down to 14.5. You still got plenty of room. You, exactly. and you still got plenty of room to sign Joe Mixon. The, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Joe Mixon. No, no, this is a, good stuff. It, 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 it'll segue with Joe. Joe Mixon will be a little different in the sense that his cap number this year will actually go up a little bit because he's getting paid on a rookie deal. Whereas right. AJ is on the franchise tag. He's already at a high cap number. And again, not to repeat myself, but you can structure that in a way where you can actually have his cap be virtually the same. So there's no net effect on the team cap. 
or you can actually reduce a salary cap. So you actually increase the team cap room, by the way, depending on how they do the signing bonus. But with Joe Mixon, I like Joe and I like the way he plays. I like his passion. I think he's a team leader. Uh, and in fact, he was the only guy who, if you watch claims closely enough towards the end of the season, that was him and Tyler Boyd. Yep. I always remember they played Tyler Boyd in that Dolphins game where he looked like he pulled his handy and it looked <laughs> like on any other play and any other player, a guy would have been laying down, but Tyler had the wherewithal to get up and get up and lined up on the line. To, there was, I think the next play was a spike to kill the clock. Yeah. Yep. Because but had I, he not, the clock, yeah, would have kept yeah, going. Yeah. Yep. I've always respected Tyler Boyd. I mean, we can forgive him because he's from the Pittsburgh area. He's probably grew up as a Steeler <laughs> fan, but we can forgive him for that. But that guy is a baller. That guy balls out and he, he plays hard. And, that, and in football, you need guys like that. Uh, and Joe Mixon, fit, the reason I mentioned Tyler is Joe Mixon fits that bill. Joe Mixon plays, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, but in a good way. And, team, and players follow him. He's a, he's a leader by example. Um, but with, that, said, with that said, though, hold on now. <laughs> With that said, now I'm I want to I want to find out what side of the fence are you on? Are you a pay to running back type of guy, or are you a guy that doesn't see the value in the position? Before we, because all that you just said sounded really good, and it's got tremendous value. And the average fan says, "Pay that man." Yeah. So I, I I when I look on on the analytics of it, I I agree with the I I think, and this is taking nothing away from from Joe Mixon or any running back really. I think, though, running back is probably the most fungible position, most interchangeable position in football. I don't, And that's not to say the running game is still important. Obviously, I think the passing game sets up the run, but the running game is still important. But I still think, as the Broncos showed in the late 90s, whether it was Terrell Davis or Gary Anderson or Mike, or Mike Anderson or, or the other guy that they had. Or, or Landis Gary or something. Or Landis, yeah. 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 So like those guys, you know, even Terrell Davis, Hall of Famer, was a six-round pick. You know, so, the, you know, you don't have to be – in fact, Kajana Carter, I, I, like, leapt for joy when they traded up for Kajana Carter. The best running back in that class was Curtis Martin, who I also liked. He played at University of Pittsburgh, and he's a Hall of Famer. And he was a third round – he went in the third round in the 95 draft. So the point of that saying is, look, Travion Williams – did Travion Williams get one handoff last year? I don't think he, he had one handoff. Barely played, yeah. Preseason. Uh, in, in, well, in, in the regular season, yeah. I think he was no, no, really active most games. Right. Rodney Anderson, there was an article on Bengals.com. I mean, God bless him. He's only who knows. I mean, I can't imagine the stuff he's gone through with tearing his knees and tearing it last year. But I still have hopes for Rodney Anderson. And you know, Gio Bernard, we can talk about potential cap casualties. I know they won't cut Gio and I like him, but the Bengals already have a considerable amount invested in the running back position. And they don't even really know what they have with Travion and Rodney Anderson. And um so to answer your question, I I wouldn't sign Joe Mixon to the contract that I would propose. I propose, and I actually think this deal gets done before AJ because there is no deadline on this deal. There's no July 15th deadline that's imposed by the CBA. They can get this deal done a day before the season starts, during the season, anytime. Although if it gets to the season, I'm sure Mixon won't want to talk about contracts as a distraction. But um, I I think the Bengals are probably going to do like a four-year, $40 million deal with Joe. And that's $10 million a year, and I think that's fair. I think he takes that. I think, you know, it puts him in the top six running backs overall. But I, I wouldn't do that just because I want to allocate those resources to maybe an Everson Griffin. And you, by the way, you can do both of these. You can sign Mix into a four-year, $40 million and then sign like an Everson Griffin or um, a Larry Warford. It doesn't prevent you from doing that. But I would allocate my resources to player to positions other than running back. If it were me, I would just – I would just have 
running backs on rookie contracts. Because I, I don't know if he wants that. Uh, was uh, um, what's the guy? The, the Christian McCaffrey money. Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey, great player. McCaffrey, and although Mixon, I think, doesn't get the the credit that he deserves as a receiver. McCaffrey really plays two positions. He caught like nine, some eighty balls or something. I think Joe Mixon could be just as good as a receiver as as, as a I just, but I, the way and, it, and this kind of goes with your AJ Green uh, sentiment that you said. You said, "Hey, look, I think he could have an MVP uh, caliber season, right?" I do. The yeah. only way, the only reason why I would caution that. The same way I would say Joe Mixon's opportunities in the past game is unlike a lot of teams like the Carolina Panthers or whatever, they just have so many wide receiver options to, to yep. me that I don't think A.J. Green sees that amount of balls. And I don't think Joe Fair. Mixon would see that much in the in the past game. And even on third down, they always looked at Joe Mixon almost like a liability in the pass blocking game. Yeah. So they sent Gio Bernard out Gio's for a lot of passes. So they yeah. kind of limit like what he could do opposed to like Let's say he was he was on the Browns and he got the carries that the Nick Chubb would have got, or right. let's say he was on the Panthers, he definitely would see a yeah. He, we'd be sure. talking 13, 14 million for mixing easy. I just I don't think, think so. I don't think he'll ever maximize his potential here in Cincinnati. In, is in my opinion, but un, unless we're talking about a playoff caliber team and like he's just you know like ready to go fourth quarter, you yeah. know. I, I just I don't see that for like like a Le'Veon Bell type situation for him ever with the amount of weapons that this team already has. That's fair. I, I agree. If everybody stays healthy, these the, our wide receiver room is stacked. I, I think the tight ends. I mean, who knows with Drew Sample? I like CJ. I think he's a little underrated. Drew Sample is just a giant question mark. And, and you know you got Seathan Carter and and what uh, the other kid, Mason Shrek, who are just. I mean, Seathan has played well in his kind of H back role. But I don't know if you can really count on him, and you can't really count on Mason Shrek. But we do have weapons, to your point, Zim. we got a lot of weapons. And so, yeah, if you view it for – you know what? I think the team is probably making those arguments as a way to either avoid signing them or saying, here's our price point, and we're not going to budge from it because of age or running back value. But also, I think, Zim, they're probably making the point you're making now, which I hadn't even thought of. Like, okay, fine, we really want you here, but look at all these other guys we have. And we're, they're right. going to get the ball too, so – uh, we can't justify paying you. I think that's a team argument that they'll make, but I do think the value certainly – would I be upset if Joe Mixon gets a four-year four – four no, I'd, I'd be happy for him, obviously, and I'd be happy for the Bengals. I think he's a good player. But I just don't know if the value is there because ultimately with these running back contracts, what ends up happening is a year or two into them – you can always get out of them too, but a year or two into them, it's, man, this is a really bad deal. And then you look back and say those first two years where we really paid him, was it really worth it? In other words, could a right. running back on like a rookie contract given us that same production at that cost? And I think that's the balance they're trying to strike with those guys. This not to is, play, not to play devil's advocate, but also the the elephant in the room is William Jackson the third is in uh, the last year of his contract coming up after his season. Yep. If you had the choice, it seems like you were thinking from a running back perspective, you want to give that to a premium position. Premium mm -hmm. position is cornerback. The yeah. Bengals happen to have a very good one in William Jackson III. What does an extension look like, and what's the likelihood that they could get something done with William Jackson III as opposed to Joe Mixon? I think they're going to – I don't think they'll get an extension done with William with WJ3 this year, uh, although they can. They, they He's on his fifth-year option. I think the priorities are – Mixon and, and and AJ, and then I think a distant third is 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 William Jackson, who I like. And if given the choice, 
it, it, gun to the head, given the choice, obviously they'd be different deals, but you can only sign one between Joe Mixon and, and William Jackson. Again, I love Joe Mixon, but just from a positional value and what and the way I view William Jackson, I would sign William Jackson. I would take that 10 times out of 10. Even if I'm making William Jackson the highest paid corner, if he like balls out and, and plays at an all pro level, which I think he could this year, just because of the positional value of cornerback. And we have seen when, when William Jackson third is playing to his potential, he is a true lockdown shutdown corner. He really is. Um, he kind of struggled a little bit last year. He's, he's kind of been inconsistent, but I, I, I haven't lost any faith in, in, in the fact that I think that William Jackson can, can still be a dominant corner. And to me, you pay dominant corners. I don't know if he'll get Byron Jones money. Byron Jones um, signed for what, like 16 and a half? It was well over 80 million total right. uh, with the Dolphins. I don't know if he's going to get and a, and a boatload of guarantees. Boatload of guarantees, almost over 40 million guarantees. So over half his deal was guaranteed. So Jones got a good deal in Miami. And there's no state income tax in Florida, uh, so even better for him. Even but, better. Yeah, but I, I think they do get a deal done with William Jackson. I think this deal gets done, though, next year. I think it gets done before free agency. Although at that point, William – That's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about. So if you let William Jackson – if you don't sign him this year, it seems like you kind of have leverage right now to do it right now, right? Because he's not the best season. But if right. William Jackson, like you just said, gets to that free agent market, can the Bengals even match what someone on the free agent market is going to give him? Probably not, but they still have the franchise tag in, a, in their back pocket. And so the fr- and they, there's if William Jackson balls out as an all-pro level, they will not let William Jackson hit the open market. As a pro player advocate, I hate the franchise tag because, I mean, it just it, it limits players. It's good for the teams, obviously, but, right. I mean, it just – William Jackson could get paid a lot more on the open market if he goes in more. But there's no way that they'll let him hit the open – if he balls out or even if he has a better year this year than he had last year, they're going to want to keep him around. And if they don't come to a deal, they're going to slap the franchise tag on him um, because he's playing now under the fifth-year option. So um, – but I think, you know, the Bengals, what I've seen now, they're getting away from these five-year type of deals, five-year type extensions. They, they're doing more of these four, maybe even three. But Jackson's a young guy, so I think maybe a four-year extension. And, you know, if you want to do four years, $16 million, that's 64. You know, maybe bump it up to – 16.25 and give them 65 million over four. So four years, 65 million with like, call it 32 million of that guaranteed via like a, a big signing bonus. And even though they don't guarantee base salary, you know, the Bengals are going to cut the guy in year one or two, even if he right, plays right. like crap, they're not going to cut him. Uh, so those act like what I like to call as effective guarantees. And there's a way to get it done. I think William Jackson, the third one, he's a, he's a first round pick. The Bengals, you know, if you're a good first round pick, the Bengals like to get you to their second contract. That third contract, like with Whitworth, or actually that was his fourth contract. That's a different story. But if you're a rookie on the Bengals and you play well in your rookie deal, they want to keep you around. And they'll pay you. They'll, they'll pay up. Um, and I really think that's the ultimate end game with William Jackson because I really think he's going to sign, end up signing an extension, but I don't think it's going to happen until next year because there is a risk, like we just mentioned, Ace. They can mm-hmm. let him get to the open market, but I don't think they do. I think they would franchise him and just kind of work a deal out that way. But I would say anywhere in like in the four-year, 65 to maybe even pushing 70 million on an extension because he's a, assuming he plays well because it's a position of value and he's a great player if he, if he has a playing well. Right. Um, one can a, case scenario if, if he just is like sleepwalking through the year, he just doesn't look like the guy he looked like in 2017. Remember that pick six he had against Aaron Rodgers in that game? That Ooh, was, I mean, I jumped off my couch watching that game. Remember that his play. play on Antonio Brown every single time that we played. Yes. Him. Yep. He's he shut him down. Um, 
I, I think they find a way to get William Jackson back in the fold. But if he, if for some reason he just is, he just falls off a cliff this year. I, I think that's the only way that the Bengals don't get him back where he falls off a cliff and the Bengals say, Hey, go on the open market. And we really are really low on you now. And we're not even going to franchise you. Uh, I don't see that happening, but that's the only way that would happen is if he just totally bombs this year. But I don't, I don't see that happening. I think he's going to going to have a great season. Let me ask you, I guess, to, to that point before we get into our final question is one thing that Bengals fans uh, always complain about up into this up this this past uh, free agency was the lack of free agents being signed and brought into Cincinnati, right? And part of the reason why I think Ace and myself are reluctant to let these players like get to the open market is because guaranteed money. And one of the things that I preach to people is about how it's a, it's a separate account where Bengals have to pony up the buck. Like they can't pay them like weekly. Like this is like, can you talk to, to the people about like the difference in guaranteed money versus like uh, salaries yeah. where, yeah. where, and how it, and how it affects free agency big time where this past free agency it didn't because they actually went out and spent it. But, you know, there, there's a different way that the money is handled. You got it. It's so get, when, when, a, when a free agent player is, is weighing different offers from teams, they're, they're going to want to look at the, the overall dollars, of course. But really, because these contracts aren't guaranteed, they're going to look at what the dollars are that are guaranteed. And so the biggest way a player gets guaranteed money in the NFL is a signing bonus. And so that signing bonus is guaranteed at signing. Right. Now, there are ways that the team can what they call claw back or, or the player can forfeit their signing bonus. If, if they have off the field issues, if they get a, a, a PED suspension for steroids or, or whatever the case may be, performance enhancing, there, there are ways. But other than that, if the player, even if the player bombs out but has no other issues, that signing bonus money is the guaranteed money. And so that's the biggest portion of the guarantee. The other ways money becomes guaranteed is teams can then say, okay, we'll give you a big $20 million signing bonus. But in addition to that, we're going to guarantee your base salary, whatever that amount is, for like years one, two, and three. And the better player that you are, the more leverage you have, the more years you can get guaranteed. Traditionally, historically, the Bengals don't do that. To your point, they don't guarantee base salary. The only true guarantee they give players is the signing bonus, saying – you sign this contract, here's your check, literally. I mean, that bonus is earned at the time that the contract is signed. It may not all be paid out at the same time, but it's paid out usually within 12 months, if not all of it within a very short amount of time. And so that's the guaranteed money. The signing bonus is guaranteed. So let's just let's use a real-world example or, or a fake example. Let's say a player signs a five-year, $80 million contract with $40 million guaranteed, so half of guaranteed. The player may play out all five years, in which case they get all eighty million. But if they only if they're cut after or if they're cut any time before the season, the contract is over, they're only going to get from that contract the amount that was guaranteed. So, to use that example, five years, eighty million, forty million guaranteed. That forty million guaranteed is likely to be let's call it a twenty million dollar signing bonus. So that's half of your forty guarantee. And then the other guarantee comes. The team will say, okay, you got twenty up twenty million dollars that we're going to guarantee. We're going to guarantee that in the form of guaranteeing your base salaries for years one, two, and three of that five-year deal. And years one, two, and three of your base salary are going to add up to $20 million, plus your $20 million signing bonus. That's how you get the $40 million guaranteed. 
Because if you don't offer, if you just give the player the signing bonus and don't offer the player any other guarantees, you can cut the player. Now you're going to eat all that signing bonus money, in which case there's dead money on the cap. And so that's a way to protect against that as a player. But the player and their agent wants to see the guarantee in writing. And it's literally, it's a guarantee. It's an addendum to the contract. It says it's guaranteed. And there are three types of guarantees, not to get too far in the weeds, but it's guaranteed for injury, uh, skill, and salary cap. Meaning that if the team has to cut you because uh, you had an injury, but now you're, you pass the physical, you're healthy, but the injury caused you to not play well, they can cut you for that. They can cut you for, hey, we need room to sign another player. We're, we're just tied against the cap. We're going to cut you for cap purposes. Um, or we're going to cut you for um, a skill. Like we don't, you're not injured and you're not, we don't need the cap room, but you're just not the player that you used to be. We're going to cut you. If you don't have guaranteed money left here, that's it. It's not like baseball. Like baseball, right. you cut a player, the team's got to eat that contract. You got to right. pay out that money. In football, if there is no guaranteed money left, the team can easily get out of the deal. So, to answer your question, Zim, it's a great question. A lot of people, I think, too, because like when you look, listen to like the NFL Network or ESPN or any other network that just states a contract, they're starting to do it now, though, I realize. They're, they're starting to state the guarantee because that's what the players really work, want. They want. It's literally the owners putting their money where their mouth is in the contract saying, if anything goes wrong, here's your true guarantee. Here's what you're entitled to get in this contract, even if we break it before it's over. And so the the, the guarantees, the biggest form of the guarantee is always the signing bonus. And then it really takes the form of like the base salaries, not to get too overly complicated. They can guarantee like off season roster bonuses too. like, if you're on the roster, like the fifth day after the new league year, you'll get a million dollar bonus. Like Bobby Hart, for example, had a roster bonus this year, but that wasn't guaranteed. So the Bengals could have cut him the day before and say, sorry, Bobby, you know, you don't get that money, but they honored that even though it was, it wasn't a guaranteed roster bonus. To avoid some players and their agents will say to the team, say, okay, that roster bonus is fine, but guarantee it. Put it in the contract that you're going to guarantee it for skill, injury, and cap. In case I get cut for any of those reasons, then you're still going to pay me. So the Bengals, even though they didn't guarantee that roster bonus, they still paid it out to Bobby Hart, too, because he was on the roster. Um, and so that, a lot of people tend to look at the overall dollars and years of the contract. And very rarely, as you guys know, do people end up seeing the whole, unless you're just like an elite player who, who stays healthy, God willing, you know, the odds are you're going to be cut before the end of your deal. So the important part is what is the amount that's guaranteed? And you guarantee it in the form of a signing bonus and then guaranteed base salary. And then these guaranteed offseason roster bonuses are another common form. So one question that I had, Andre, that I've always kind of wondered about in terms of the way the cap works is when it comes to trades. I know like last last season we kind of talked about um, with us not doing so well. There was a point where we had a show where uh, should the Bengals consider trading someone like a Geno Atkins or someone like a Carlos Dunlap? How do those trades work in terms of how salary is divvied up? Is it yep. a, at a certain point in time? Is there any kind of difference or how does that work yeah, great question. So when you trade a player, the team that trades of the trading team, the, the team that traded him, they have to account for any signing bonus money that has been paid out but has not been hit against the, that is not counted against the cap. And so they call that what they call that a cap acceleration. So to, to bring up a Geno Atkins trade, if the Bengals had traded Geno, I don't I don't have his contract in front of me, but I don't know what a signing bonus was. But let's let's keep the numbers simple. Let's say it was a ten million dollar signing bonus. And the Bengals, they, 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 you could prorate that over the, the length of the deal. It was a four-year extension, plus he had one year added on. So it was $2 million in each of those five years. 
But there were three years left on, I think Gino has, well, if they traded him last year, he would have had three years left on his deal. He would have had last year. And then I think Gino is still under contract for two more years, I think. Right. And so the Bengals then, upon trading him, the Bengals then have to, what comes back against the Bengals cap is all that signing bonus money that has, that's been prorated, but that hasn't hit the Bengals cap yet. And the acquiring team is not on the hook for that. The only thing the acquiring team is on the hook for is the player's base salary. So it actually ends up being a good deal for the acquiring team because they're only paying the base salary. They're not paying any portion of the signing bonus because the signing bonus has already been paid out. But that's why, too. Like, if you get a really good player like Gino on a, on, on a good deal where you're just paying his, his base salary and you acquire him via trade, the Bengals are going to want a lot of return for that. They're saying, hey, we're going to trade you this all-pro defensive tackle, Hall of Fame player, all-decade player. At a discount rate, essentially. Uh, that's right. Because you don't have because you're the acquiring team in a trade. You don't pay any portion of the signing bonus. You just have to pay his base salary and any other guarantees that are remaining in the contract. But there are none because the Bengals don't do that. Right. And so because we're giving you a good player and you're paying just his base salaries for the next three years, you got to give us something good. You got to give us a second-round pick. You got to give us a third round pick, a high third round, or a conditional third round that turns into a two if Gino makes two Pro Bowls or whatever the case may be. You can structure it many deal, many ways, right. but that's the way. So the team that trades the player has to account what what hits against their salary cap is any what they call unamortized signing bonus, any signing bonus that has not hit against the cap yet, that's been prorated out but not not hit. So when that because when he's traded, the player is removed from the roster. It's just. From a cap perspective, it's almost the same as cutting that player because he's no longer on the team. And so you have to accelerate all his bonus money that has not hit against the cap yet. But the team that acquires him doesn't count that money. They just count what they owe him via base salary the rest of the way. So right. uh, it's a way for, for teams to acquire a player um, at a reasonable weight, at a discounted rate. But in order to do that, the team that's trading him away knows that. And so they, they use that as, okay, you got to give us something to return in return. Gotcha. gotcha. Makes, makes a lot of sense. People, we've had a great show tonight. I think we're running, running, running out of time currently right now. I wish I, I had a couple other things I wanted to ask you, but we'll we'll save that for a later date. And I and I, and I think it'll be really, really important. Um, please make sure you follow Andre at Andre Parada13 on Twitter. Is there anything else uh, that you got going that I can I can make the people see where you're like putting out some more information or people can ask you questions directly as it pertains to like any salary stuff? Yeah, I use Twitter for like uh, cool. for all that. So shoot me. My DMs aren't open, but if you follow me, I'll, I'll usually try to follow people. Back <laughs> follow both of you guys because I like hearing different opinions from people and. Uh, any Bengals fan I usually try to follow anyway, and especially knowledgeable fans like you guys. So, if you guys want, I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to be on again. If you, I, I hell yeah, you, I'd love to, oh I'd definitely, love to man, you're the man. Hell yeah, hell yeah. yeah. As, we, as, as, as we get closer to the season, I wanted to ask you some stuff about like player leverage, <clears throat> and, sure. excuse me, and, and how it pertains to you know the current climate that yeah. we're in. No but I, I, let, let's see how it plays out. But currently, right now, I think we got the groundwork to get us mixing sign, get us AJ Green for twenty million. We know how much money we got, so they can't throw, they can't pull any wolves all over our eyes right now because we got the sure. impact scoop on their cap figures. We know what the rate is, and we're ready to go. I thank you all for attending tonight. This has been the Orange Is the New Black podcast with my man Ace Boogie. Please make sure you follow him at New Stripe City on Instagram, YouTube. 
subscribe. If you subscribe to the YouTube, whatever, I promise you it's going to pay off for you later. You can always check me out at Zim underscore Hude on Instagram and Zim Hude on Twitter. Um, if you got any money questions, just send them all to Andre because I don't know. Nah. Stuff. <laughs> all right. This has been the show. Hude. Hude. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.